Hello and welcome back to the Everyday Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Chase Green. This is a podcast where we remind ourselves that God deserves every praise from every creature every day. I know I say that almost every episode at the beginning. I don't want that to kind of be like a ritual type saying, but I really believe that. Every Christian should be praising God every day of our lives in the way that we live our lives. I know that we don't always do the best at that. Sometimes we fail. We're human. We sin. And uh, we've certainly got plenty of room for improvement. I heard it said recently that uh, the biggest room in all of our lives is the room for improvement. That's certainly the case. But again, as we kind of start the episode this week, I just want to encourage you, try to, to live your life the best way that you can, faithfully, sinlessly. Again, I know that we're not perfect and we do sin from time to time, but as sinlessly as you can and, and improve. Work on the things that uh, you struggle with. Try to eliminate sin from your life. That's the goal here at the Everyday Christian Podcast. This week, as we continue our study of The Struggle is Real, I want to begin by asking you to go back in your Old Testament, and I want us to talk about the sin of David with Bathsheba. So we're going to begin looking at 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11, beginning... In verse number 1, it says, It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. So there's his first mistake. He's remained at home when kings are supposed to be out at battle. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. Here's his second mistake. You know, maybe, maybe, you know, some people have wondered if uh, David was up there on purpose, going out looking for things he shouldn't have been looking for. I don't know for sure on that. But regardless, his second mistake is he kept looking. You know, if if you stumble upon something, that's one thing. Look the other way. But... David is looking in a lustful intent here in verse number 2. And then verse 3 says, So David sent and inquired about the woman. Mistake number 3. Now he's pursuing even further. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So this is another man's wife. And then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. So, obviously, another sin here. Uh, We're at least four sins in, if not more. And then verse 5 says, And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Then David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. What's going on here? Well, David is beginning his attempt at a cover-up, as we're going to see. So, I mean, we're, we're multiple sins in at this point, and David is just digging himself into a, a deeper and deeper hole. Is that is that not often the case? That's what we do. We try to, rather than come clean about our sin, we just dig ourselves further and further into a hole. Well, that's what David is doing here. Verse 6, Then David sent to Joab, saying, uh, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing, and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. 
So Uriah departed from the king's house, and a gift of food from the king followed him. It's almost as if uh, David's trying to butter him up here, isn't it? But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of the Lord, of, of his Lord, rather, and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. You have to love the honor of Uriah there. Just a a wonderful man. And we know what happens with the rest of the story. Some of our older listeners might remember Paul Harvey. And uh, he would always say on his radio program, and now the rest of the story. Well, the rest of the story with this one is not a good story. It's very sad. Uh, Uriah the Hittite ends up being murdered in this cover-up. And uh, David was fully to blame for that. And Joab too, by the way, because Joab went along with it. Uh, But anyways, Uriah is murdered, and then David uh, takes what was not his to take in Bathsheba, as he had already done, but he takes her to wife, and uh, the child ends up dying as punishment. And so uh, one of the very saddest stories in, uh, in this book of 2 Samuel, certainly, and in all of the Bible, David's sin with Bathsheba. I want us to talk about, as we're thinking about the struggle is real this week, I want us to talk about struggling with guilt. You know, David, he struggled in many ways because of this particular sin. I want us to go now to the next chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 12, and let's notice beginning in verse number 1. It says, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. 
Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. So so, uh, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have been you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. So we see there that David, upon realizing that the parable was about him, thou art the man. You are the man, David. You're the sinner who has done this. David, upon realizing that, he, to his credit, he owns up to it. He confesses it. And uh, that, at least, is admirable on, on David's part, that he confessed he owned up to the sin. You know, David was a man after God's own heart. And if we as Christians are people after God's own heart, then when we do sin, what will we do? We'll admit it, won't we? Well, I want us to go to Psalm 51, because Psalm 51 is a psalm that was written with this event in mind. David uh, writes this psalm. It is a prayer of repentance. The The uh, scribes wrote and attached to this psalm at the beginning. They said, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So let's read this Psalm 51. Let's see what we can glean from this as it pertains to guilt. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. The God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, 
with burnt offering and whole burnt offering, then they shall offer bulls on your altar. The gist of what David is saying here, he's saying, look, I'm guilty. I I stand guilty in your presence. My sin is ever before me. Please forgive me. Cleanse me. Wash me again. It's not the interest it's not the sacrifices that you're interested in, per se. You know, verse seventeen, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. In other words, certainly God commanded sacrifices in the Old Testament. That's not what we're saying here. But even more so, God wanted the right heart uh, as those sacrifices were being performed. So we think about all of this and we think about David's heart. Again, David sinned. There's no uh, no other way around that. David sinned, but he had the kind of heart that when confronted with his sin, his sin he confessed it to God. I'm reminded of some other verses that deal with these principles in the New Testament. James uh, 5 verse 16 says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Galatians 6 uh, verses 1 and 2 said, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. 1 John 1 verses 7 through 10. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Notice this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Do we believe that? Do we believe that we serve a God who is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins? Well, if we do believe that, then what's that going to do to guilt as we're struggling with it? Well, if we're truly believing on Christ with all of our hearts and we're repenting of our sins, we're confessing those things to God and we're asking Him to forgive us as Christians, as everyday Christians, if we're doing that, then of course uh, we are going to understand that we have a God who is faithful and just who will forgive us of those sins. Therefore, what's going to happen to that guilt? Think about uh, Acts chapter 8, verses 18 through 24. Now, this is sometimes called God's second law of pardon, and really these other verses that we have looked at deal with it as well. But in Acts chapter 8, there was a man named Simon the sorcerer. And Simon the sorcerer actually uh, becomes a Christian earlier in the chapter, and unfortunately, he pretty much immediately goes right back to a sinful, sinful thought process. So Acts 8, verse 18 through 24, it says, And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. So what is Peter saying here? He's saying, your money's going to perish with you, therefore if you keep going down this road, 
what's going to happen to you? You're going to perish, right? So uh, what does that say about the, the false idea of once saved, always saved? Well, it shows that it's not true. So Peter tells him that his money's going to perish with him. He doesn't have part or portion in this matter. His heart is not right in the sight of God. And then he says, Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by the bitterness and and bound by iniquity. Then Simon, to his credit, then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me, that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. So what is Simon doing there? He is confessing his sin. He is repenting of his sin. He's asking for prayer. And sometimes we call this God's second law of pardon. So we've talked about how to deal with guilt as we deal with this struggle. Number one, confess your sin and repent. Well, let me back up, because actually that's number two if you think about it. Because number one, first and foremost, if you're listening to this podcast and you've never done this, number one is obey the gospel, right? Respond to God's plan of salvation. Hear the word of God, Romans ten seventeen. Believe on Christ with all of your heart, uh, John three sixteen, Mark sixteen sixteen, and many other verses. Repent of your sins, Luke thirteen verse three, Acts two thirty eight, Acts three nineteen. Confess Jesus Christ, uh, Acts eight verse uh, thirty seven, I believe it is, Matthew ten thirty two and thirty three, and uh, Romans ten nine and ten. So, hear the word of God, believe in Christ, repent of your sins, confess your belief in Christ and be baptized into Christ, and that's uh, Acts 2.38, Mark 16.16, 16, and many, many other passages as well. So number one, before we can get to the rest of this, is make sure you've obeyed the gospel. Make sure you've done so uh, for the right reason, of course. So number two, so we're talking about how do we uh, rid ourselves of guilt. Well, number two, when we inevitably sin again after we have obeyed the gospel, then we do just as this teaches. We just read in Acts chapter 8, God's second law of pardon, if you will, confess the sin, repent of it, of course, and pray that God would forgive us. So we think about that. The question then becomes, what now? Someone says, well, I've repented, and I've confessed the sin to God, and I've begged for forgiveness, and I'm still feeling guilty. Well, at that point, we need to ask the question, why? Because if you truly have obeyed the gospel, and if you truly are walking in the light, again, 1 John 1, verse 7, and when you do occasionally stumble, if you truly are penitent, and you confess those things to God, and you pray for Him to forgive you, then guess what? God is faithful and just, and He will forgive you. So you need to release that guilt. I know that's not easy, trust me. Uh, The Scripture speaks to the fact that uh, Paul, for instance, his guilt evidently followed him for the rest of his life, in a sense, because uh, he had been killing Christians. And there are verses that talk about how he considered himself the least of all the apostles and the least of all saints. Why? Because he th- he thought about his past and what he had done terribly to Christians. And so certainly I understand that it is a struggle, and it can be difficult to release feelings of guilt Uh, because of our past sins, but we still need to remember that if God has forgiven us, then we need to forgive ourselves as well. You know, how do we do that? To to use the expression, when you fall off the horse, you know, and, and what we mean by that is when you sin, when you fall off the horse, get back on the horse, right? 
keep going. Get back up and keep walking in the light. We started this week's episode talking about David. Do you know what's interesting about David? David was not perfect, obviously, right? We talked about his sin. But the Bible does tell us that David was a man after God's own heart. David was a man who truly wanted to do right. David was faithful. David's name is in the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And I think about Psalm 51 that we read earlier. You, you, you read Psalm 51, you know that David was the kind of man that when he did slip up, he made it right in God's sight. And you know what 1 Kings 15 verse 5 says about David? Again, this is 1 Kings 15 verse number 5. It says, David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Was David perfect? Nope. But was he faithful? Absolutely. And so you also be faithful, Christian. When you do mess up, repent, confess it to God, and uh, others when needed, you know, confess it to the degree that the sin is known, and then pray to God to forgive you, and He will. Lastly, I want us to remember this, and this is a promise from God as it pertains to our sins when they're forgiven. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of His heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. That's Micah 7, verses 18 and 19. And then one more verse for this week. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Psalm 103, verse 12. If you're a Christian and you're listening to this, then that's what, that's what God does with your sins. He casts them far from us, and we can be thankful for that. Keep walking in the light. When you do slip up from time to time, repent. Confess it to God. Pray that He will forgive you, and He is faithful and just. He will. And then keep on walking in the light, and let's remain faithful unto death, and we'll receive the crown of life, Revelation 2, verse 10. There are tremendous, tremendous blessings in understanding these promises from God's Word. I appreciate you tuning in to this week uh, to the Everyday Christian Podcast. Tune in next Monday as we continue with our theme, The Struggle is Real.